Okay, on that note, today's message is entitled Divine Appointments. Okay, and here's the big idea. The big idea is that the Sovereign Lord is in the business of orchestrating supernatural encounters and conversations and connections in pursuit of his kingdom purposes. Amen. That was a big old sentence. I'm going to read it again. God is in the business of orchestrating, organizing, managing supernatural encounters and conversations and connections in pursuit of his kingdom purposes. And you might well be the hand that he chooses to use. Or you could well be the one to whom God wishes to reveal himself. Because the Bible narrative is full of such divine appointments. And God is still very much pulling those strings today. And you never know. He could even use you. Bit of a, a, an undergirding to that. A premise to begin with. God is at work in and around your life in remarkable ways. Seen and unseen, known and unknown, big and small. You know that when you walk into a room, God is already there. If there's a problem, God is already maneuvering things towards a solution. When you start ministering into a situation, God has skillfully and patiently been at work ahead of time Preparing the way. What's God up to? He, he's prodding and prompting hearts all around you. He's leveraging circumstances for your growth. He's leading people across your path. He's opening doors of opportunity. All in the furtherance of his kingdom purposes. Let, let me ask you a question or two. Have you ever had a, a single one-off surprise encounter? And what that person said made you stop and draw breath, maybe even change course. That could have been a divine appointment. Have you ever found yourself talking with a total stranger? And as that conversation unfolded, you were able to minister to them right into that need or hurt. You may not know the impact that had until you get to heaven, but when you look back on it, you can see that the hand of God was at work. Have you ever met someone for the first time, maybe the first and only time, and immediately known that 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 new relationship was divinely orchestrated. That it was right on time. That it was just what you needed. I have a little book in my collection called Divine Appointments, written by Bob and Matthew Jacks. And they say this. They say, the sovereign Lord, through the whispering voice of his spirit, is in the business of opening doors, setting divine appointments, making impossible connections, starting 
unlikely relationships and changing people's destinies to a single encounter. And when God's people respond to that whisper, everyone wins. Your faith is challenged and stretched and enlarged. You experience the joy, the fulfillment, the bars that only comes when you yield to the promptings of God, when you step from comfortable mediocrity into the zone of the unknown, the God space where natural leads to spiritual, leads to supernatural, and you touch another life in a significant, meaningful, transforming way. And in that book, they give a series of short story examples I'll share with you. Here's one. I was driving to Wales. This is not me. I was driving to Wales and pitched, picked up a hitchhiker on the outskirts of Bath. As far as I know, Bath is not on the way to Wales from here, so it's not me. And he was on his way to London. He was a new ager. We talked about God, and I gave him a tract as I dropped him off. On my return journey, I picked up the same man on the same roundabout at which I'd left him three days earlier. Perhaps he'd been stuck there for three days, I don't know. Here's another one. I was going, uh, doing, this is, this is an old book, for context. I was doing door-to-door work with a friend, and we gave a man a gospel leaflet. On the front cover was a picture of a lake in North America. He looked at us in amazement. I just came back from holiday at that lake. One more. We were on a mission smuggling Bibles in an Islamic country. My friend went into a shop and spoke to the Arab shopkeeper about Jesus in English. The shopkeeper said, why don't you speak Arabic like your friend who was in here earlier telling me about the same Jesus? There was nobody in our group who could speak Arabic, yet God had sent someone only hours earlier to speak to the same man. A couple of examples of personally from these, these kind of divine connections and encounters and appointments. Um, so when I was in my early 20s, I know that takes a lot of imagination, I was a youth pastor. And in my youth group was a young lady by the name of Sarah. And Sarah went across the pond to the U.S. to Bible college. And there she met a young lady called Angela. I think they might even have been roommates. And they became really, really good friends. A year later, my brother went to the same Bible college in America where, through Sarah, he met Angela. And John and Angela, well, you you can use your imagination, got together, got married. They'd been married for 25 years. But Angela's father was a, a man by the name of Case. And Case planted a series of churches in Canada one of which was called Living Faith Christian Church in Collingwood, Ontario. And through my connections with John, which all started with Sarah, I ended up pastoring that church in Collingwood, Ontario. Now, as I look back on that, that's a whole lot of loose strands tied together. And I could not have orchestrated that if I had tried. That's what I think we've called evidence of this strange phenomenon called coincidence. No coincidence, God incidences, God at work in and around your life in remarkable ways. Another example, slightly closer to home, is how I ended up here in sunny Bidford. And we came back from Canada a few years after the previous 
situation, came back to Canada, ended up living with my parents-in-law in Painswick and attending Trinity Church in Cheltenham. And the rector there was Mark Bailey. And uh, one occasion we were chatting and Mark said, you need to come see me. So I said, sure. He was an influential man. I was looking for a job. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. Um, still aren't really. And anyway, so, so Mark said, come see me. So 10 o'clock, whatever it was, Wednesday. Uh, and we sat down and he chatted through where I was at and, and what I was looking to do and where I'd been. And he kind of spoke over me and said, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine, named, a friend of mine by the name of Phil Della. And uh, then he prayed and prophesied over me and sent me off. And I met with Phil Della and we had a lovely coffee or whatever. And then Phil said, I need to introduce you to some friends of mine who have a church that is vacant right now. And it was the deacons of Bidford-on-Avon Baptist Church. And the rest, as they say, is history. As I look back on that and those connections, it was very clear that God had his hand on all of that. Let me give you some Bible examples, if mine aren't exciting enough. Think of Moses. Moses, the baby, cast off into the River Nile in a basket by his mother. Who was that basket found by? It was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Imagine that. And actually his mother, who then subsequently became his, his nurse. What a wonderful example of God moving heaven and earth and the tides of the river to promote and protect his divine purposes. Moses, of course, went on to become one of the most significant characters in the Bible narrative. Zacchaeus. Know that story? Little Zacchaeus, who was, I think my kids would call him a rat. He was up that tree. He was a little tax collector. He was despised and hated. And I've always thought about that. Why Zacchaeus? I mean, there was a full crowd of really good and worthy people. Why did Jesus single out, I mean, apart from the fact that he was up a tree, which I suppose was slightly unusual. You know, I think when we, when we read that, we, we just read a nice story, don't we? But God clearly singled him out at that moment in time. And I wonder one day if maybe we'll find out why. I wonder what Zacchaeus went on to do Bible tells us some of it, doesn't it, as a result of that encounter. Here's perhaps my favorite one. Remember the story of Jesus and the demoniac? You find this one in Mark chapter 5. If we had time, we could read it, look into it. And uh, a bit of context. At the end of of Mark chapter 4, Jesus with his disciples pretty much out of nowhere says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And on the way, if you remember the sequence of event, there was this dramatic, fearsome storm that terrified the disciples, and Jesus stilled with his command, if you remember that. And then they find themselves on the beach, on the other side of the shore, and they're met by the demoniac, who said, I'm filled with demons. His name was Legion. He came out of the tombs where he hung out and met Jesus on the, on the lake shore. And to, to cut a long story short, we, we, we know that Jesus, Jesus set him radically and totally free that day. The demons, as you remember, were sent into a herd of pigs that went running off the cliff. 
the end of that, Jesus got back in the boat, the, the uh, narrative tells us, back to where the crowd was waiting. And what I love about that story is, is Jesus did all of that just for that one man. That one man who'd been abandoned, he was completely lost and completely broken, and yet Jesus interrupted his entire ministry program. He got a crowd ready and assembled, but he went across the lake to minister to that one person. And if that wasn't a divine appointment, I don't know what is. The point then is that, that there are special moments, there are divinely orchestrated appointments and encounters that seem to have the fingerprint of God all over them. And what's more, when we, when we look back, we can see the, the miraculous, the, the unexpected, supernatural results that they produce. And I don't know about you, I'm grateful for, for the times that something like that has happened in my life. But you know what? I really want to be open to more of that. Here's why. A little verse that I quote often, John 6, 63. I'm just looking at the first half of the verse. says, the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll sigh and go, amen. The NLT says, the spirit alone, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Not, not even a tiny bit. Nothing. King James, I love the King James. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. And what does that tell us? That, that it's what God says. It is what God does that produces life. Zoe, the, the, the God kind of life. The flesh profiteth Nothing, accomplishes nothing, counts for nothing. So it's a lifetime's fleshly endeavor, however well-intentioned, could never rival one divine intervention. You see, when God opens a door, the results are always weighty, sometimes spectacular, almost certainly lasting. Because God knows the perfect window of opportunity. He knows when the time is just right. He knows when hearts are ready and the fruit is ripe for harvest. And so the moral of the story, folks, is we need more divine appointments. So to flesh that out a little bit more, um, so we're good and ready and prepared to, to take advantage of divine appointments. I'm just going to give you quickly three principles to follow. Number one is obey the simple and quiet promptings of the Holy Spirit. The wonderful example, the story of Philip, the evangelist, and the Egyptian eunuch, if you remember that story, Ethiopian, sorry, not Egyptian. This is found in Acts chapter 8. I'll read a few verses. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. I get the impression that Philip was in his prayer closet saying, okay, Lord, what have you got for me today? And he says, let's start. Go south. Go south. 
So he started out, verse 27, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, so there's context here, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a lamb, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. That is what evangelists like to call an open goal. As I read that wonderful story, there's four things that immediately jump out at me. Number one, that was clearly divinely orchestrated. Philip received clear and specific instructions, first of all from an angel and then from the Holy Spirit. Second thing that jumps out to me is God knows. He knew where the Ethiopian would be. He knew what he'd be reading. And he knew the questions he would be asking. The third thing that jumps out to me is that Philip obeyed the Lord. He went exactly where God told him and did exactly what God told him to do. And then the fourth one is that the implications of this divine appointment extended way beyond just this one conversation. Think about where that might have gone. God is a genius. He sees further and deeper than we can. That's for sure. Picture yourself in Philip's shoes, I guess. The chances are you won't know ahead of time that it's going to be a divine appointment. I had one yesterday, and I didn't realize it until I was praying this morning. God showed me. I might tell you that story in a minute if I remember. It's unlikely you'll have all the details neatly measured out before you start. But as we read this story, we see that Philip simply trusted and obeyed. He took one step at a time. He trusted that God had a plan, and in time, the next, each next step, became clear to him. We know, don't we, we are called to walk by faith. You, know, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to solve all the problems. You just have to trust and obey. And you can relax and leave the outcomes to God. We're also, of course, called to, to partner with the Holy Spirit to let him lead, to let him set the agenda, to let him take it as far as it needs to go. So here's the key advice. When you find yourself in what might appear to quite possibly opening up into a divine appointment, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, nothing more and nothing less. You know, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a second, but, but accept your role and do not be tempted to play God. 
Because if we start to push, the danger is we, we slip from spirit, which gives life, into flesh, which, as we know, profits nothing. In fact, you might even do damage. So for us, we need to do our job and let the Holy Spirit do his. I don't know about you, I find that, that thought very liberating. Here's a little passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul speaking, he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but, but, God made it grow. Verse 7, so neither he nor who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. So here's an extremely liberating thought that has really helped me. Our job, your job, is just to sow seed. It might be it be to water the seed that someone else has already planted. But it's God's job to make it grow. He is the savior. He is the healer. He is the convictor. So my encouragement would be to, to release yourself from that burden and just follow where he leads. Remember the reassurance that Jesus gave to his disciples a couple of times, actually. Luke 11, verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. God, back to Philip, God, God is ever orchestrating, shuffling those chess pieces around. God knows exactly what needs to be said and what needs to be done, certainly far better than you and I do. Our job, just to obey. His way, his timing, his agenda will always be better than your own. And who knows what God might do. I told you I'd tell you my story from yesterday. So um, yesterday I was playing cricket. I know, very foolish. I'm far too old for that sort of thing. Trust me, I've retired many times. I retired again at 6 p.m. yesterday after a crushing victory, I'm glad to say. We were playing in a Worcestershire town somewhere near here, um, and I was just filling in, if I'm honest. The lovely thing is I, I get to play with my children, and I don't have to do much. It's good, apart from field for 58 years. Anyway, in the opposition, there was a guy batting. They weren't desperately good. We won easily. And there was something about this guy while he was batting. I just felt a draw, which I'll explain a little bit more, more in a minute. I just, I just felt drawn to this guy. I wasn't quite sure why. And, and, and if I'm honest, in the natural, I probably wouldn't have been drawn to this guy or be friends with this. But I just felt as I was fielding, and I wasn't necessarily having a holy moment. I was concentrating on the ball. And then a little later on, um, he was standing at umpiring, and I had the opportunity to have a little chat with him, and, and the language was a little fruity, and, and he was explaining to me where he was, and it was a short conversation, 30 seconds. An hour later, I was sitting, uh, watching my, my son, Joel, smashing them all apart, and um, 
a, young, a guy came and sat next to me who turned out to have been the chairman of the club for quite some time. It wasn't anymore. And he was chatting, and this guy came up and said, um, are you available to take photos on the 10th of September because I'm having my kid christened? And the guy said, probably. And part of my conversation with him earlier was the lack of sleep that he'd had with his seven-month-old. And I just literally just overheard this conversation, and that was it. That was the end of it. And then this morning, as I was preparing for today and I was walking uh, with my dogs, I just started thinking about that. And, and I'm going to talk about compassion in a minute. But, you know, why, why did I have compassion for this guy? And what, what, did, what did God purpose out of that? And I asked him that. And he said, well, not really much. I mean, it's too, too late now. I can't go. And, you know, there was no way that I was going to leave this guy to the Lord that day in, in clouds of glory or anything like that. But I asked the Lord, and he said, what was the opening? And the opening, opening was, he is about to have his child christened. And so he goes, this is simple. This is a simple little seed, right? I could pray right there and then that God would use that occasion and the words that the vicar or the minister or everybody speaks over that child and prays over that family just to open a door and to make an impact. And you're kind of going... Well, that's not very exciting. That's not very dramatic. But that's kind of the point. It doesn't need to be dramatic. You know, here's the revelation. I am not the savior. It's not my job to solve all the problems and answer all the questions. That job is already taken, and Jesus is doing just fine. My job is to sow seed. And my job is to ask the Holy Spirit, say, what seed can I sow? And in that occasion, it was simply to pray. We believe that prayer has power, don't we? I'm looking forward to September the 10th. I don't know what God's going to do that day. It may just be the next seed. I may, it may be watering someone else's seed, but I trust that God is at work in remarkable ways. Okay, number two. So number one is obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Vital. Number two is recognize the draw of compassion. My story kind of informs that a little bit. Now, compassion... I believe, I understand compassion to be the stirring of the Holy Spirit on the inside, wanting to come out and bless someone. Have you ever found yourself talking to someone or watching them back and just felt your heart burning with compassion? You didn't know why, kind of out of nowhere. But it's a compassion or, or a compulsion that you just can't ignore. Are there certain types of people that just seem to, to attract your attention on a repeated basis. We saw this many times in Jesus' ministry, Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 1, 41, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. Luke 7, 12, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was the widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said, and then raised the dead. Small, small addition. You know, each time, in each of those stories, compassion was the Holy Spirit catalyst that triggered the miracle. And if we are truly spirit-filled, as we long to be, then the spirit that fills will be using his compassion 
to move us. And when it does, that compassion will bubble and stir until it bursts out of us and starts touching people and fixing things. Every time the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion, everybody got healed. You see, compassion is more than just sympathy. Sympathy is a natural response to someone's pain that says, I feel sorry for them. But compassion is the Holy Spirit stirring. Stirring within you, seeing the pain and saying, that person needs me and I want to touch them. So sympathy is natural, but compassion is supernatural. Sympathy is aware of the problem, but offers no solution. Whereas compassion is the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you and bursting to come out. Two quick comments on that in this context. Number one, you will not feel that compassion for everyone. It doesn't make you a bad person. In fact, if you try to fix everyone's problem, you will become the problem. And God will probably draw you to particular types of people and needs. In part, because actually that's where you are gifted. And in fact, think about this one. Where your compassion is stirred is probably a good indicator of where you are gifted or how you are wired, to coin that phrase, or what your ministry may well be. So number one, you won't feel that compassion for everyone. And number two, if there is no compassion, you risk stepping into the realm of fleshly works. Zechariah 4 verse 6, as we know, says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We know there's good intentions, and then there's the power of the Holy Spirit. And fleshly works may make the religious part of you feel good, but it will never produce supernatural fruit because, John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth and the flesh profiteth nothing. That was number two. Number three, just quickly, nearly done here. Number three is be ready and available. Colossians 4, verse 5, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you will have the right response for everyone. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, this is the Amplified. It says, herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome. What can we do to make sure that we're ready and available. Four really quick thoughts. Number one, be on the lookout. Be intentionally outward rather than just inward looking. Be on the lookout for what God is already doing. Join in. Be curious. Look for half-open doors. Be aware of any low-hanging fruit. Do what the Holy Spirit shows you to do. Number one, be on the lookout. Number two, pray in advance. 
you know, we know that Jesus habitually retreated up the mountain to seek the plans and purposes of God. To make sure he was ready. To make sure he was expectant. So to make sure he had fresh water in his well. Here's a prayer that I was taught. I've probably told you this before, and it goes something like this. Lord, move me physically and geographically across the paths of those people who need to hear the words that I have to say and need to drink the water that's in my well. Great prayer. We should pray that. We'll pray that again at the end, I think. Number three, how can we be ready, available, and prepared? Number three, don't be too cluttered to hear or too busy to respond. I read a great little leadership book by a chap called David L. McKenna called Never Blink in a Hailstorm. Sure none of you do that. And I was really struck by a chapter called Never Waste an Interruption. And of course, the danger is we get so busy in our Christian lives, you get so preoccupied, if you're like me, you're so task-driven that we, we start to despise any interruption that gets in the way. But McKenna said this, Mark records more interruptions than planned events in Jesus' ministry. Think about that. More interruptions than planned events. If you come right down to what he said, the most beautiful stories in Jesus' ministry begin as an interruption. And in fact, in the book, he then lists 13, I think, Jairus, the woman with the issue of blood, the paralytic who was dropped through the roof. Who can doubt? He said, interruptions not only define the ministry of Jesus, they are his ministry. So you can contrast the Good Samaritan with the other two guys. That they were pillars of society. They were religious people. But they walked past and they entirely missed the point. And then lastly, number four, really quickly, be prepared to take the faith risk. Are you prepared, as the Bill Hybels speak, to, to, to walk across the room into the zone of the unknown? Are you prepared to, to engage the people to whom compassion is drawing you? Let me ask this question. What is worse? The risk of rejection or missing the opportunity? Because remember, God is at work. Before you even get there, God is already at work. He's at work in people's lives and in their hearts and in their homes and in their relationships, all around you, whether you're aware of it or not, frankly, whether they're aware of it or not. And you never know. You might just get the privilege of participation. Let's face it, who knows what God might do, what God can do, what God could do. Who knows what divine appointments lie just around the next corner. Maybe God will lead you to someone who needs to drink from the water that's in your well. Or, or the next person you bump into may well need to hear the words that you have to say. And that coincidence around the next corner may just be God at work. Amen. I'm going to pray. If the worship team would like to come back up, that would be great. And, um, that's it. Action. And, um,
Don't be shy. Lion, lion. Um, I'm going to invite two sets of people to stand up. I invite everyone, not yet, everyone who has been listening to that thinking, yeah, that's good, I, I want God to use me and, and, and I'm really, you know, let's, let's start praying for more opportunities and let's, let's get my periscope up and I'm going to pray more and let's and have my eyes open tomorrow and let's see what's going to happen. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand up in a second. And then the second group of people I'm going to invite to stand up is everyone else because I don't want you to feel left out. <laughs> so let's stand and I'm going to pray and then I think we'll, we'll praise our way out. We praise our way in, we praise our way through, and we praise our way out. So I'm going to pray. If you agree with these words at the end, say a loud and hearty amen. And if you don't, say a polite mumble amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that we have a Holy Spirit who is ever-present, who is all-knowing, and is perfectly powerful. And Lord, if we are guilty of anything, it is probably of limiting what you, we think you can do. If we're guilty of anything, it, it's not having our eyes open to see what you are already doing. But Lord, we recognize that you are at work and we want to be a part of that. We want to be available and open and ready for that. Because so much of what you have done in the past, so much of what you did in the Bible, so much what you, of what you've done in our lives has been remarkable coincidence. It has been a divine appointment or a chance encounter or a conversation we never expected to have. But Lord, we want to stop putting limits on what you can do. And so Lord, every one of us in this room without fail, we say, Lord, we're available to you today and into Monday and into the workplace and into the, on the beach and in the gym. Lord, with our eyes open, prayed up saying, Lord, use me for your glory. Use me for your glory. I'm not expecting to change the world. I, I don't need to be the savior. That seat is already taken. But I want to be a seed sower. I want to sow good seed and good ground so you, Lord, can make it grow. So, Lord, here's the prayer. Lord, for all of us this week, would you move us physically and geographically across the paths, supernaturally, Across the paths of those people who need to hear the words that we have to say, the words of truth and the words of life and the words of salvation and the words of healing. And physically and geographically across the paths of those people who need to drink the water that's in our well because you are there, the Lion of Judah. Streams of living water. And who knows who around us needs to get splashed with that. Holy Spirit, we place ourselves in your hands. We fall ourselves onto our knees. And we say, Lord, use us for your glory, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name. Amen.